0: open your Bible, Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter number 10, um, I mean chapter number 11, uh, chapter 11, they're kind of tied together. I hope you know where you come from now. Have you figured that out? All right. You know where you come from. You know at least three of your ancestors, right? If you're dark-skinned, you know that Ham is your ancestor, and you know that Noah is your ancestor, and you know that that uh, Adam is your ancestor, right? And the same thing with Japheth. And, and then you see the uh, Shem, uh, that line which becomes the Hebrew people. So you know some of your ancestors. And we're going to stop here in chapter 12. And God's going to take a different direction. He's going to leave all these other people. And he's going to go down one seed line. He's going to go down one family line. He's going to take Abraham, and that's where we go. And throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, we're going to see how that seed line is preserved and how God is working and and making his plans to bring forth our Redeemer. Now, we have looked at most uh, about everything in chapter number 10 that we can look at. We looked at the distribution of uh, nations. We look at the defiance of Nimrod and, and Babel, how he became a uh, rebel. There's one thing I, I didn't say. I, I told you that in God's eyes that there is no, none of us different. At the foot of the cross, it's all level, right? Now, we, but, and we do have three different kinds of people that he says in the Bible. We come from Noah's three sons was one, was a dark skin. Today, we call them uh, uh, African-Americans. I don't like that word. I think, I don't want to be called a white American. I want to be called American, just American. I don't think we all distinguish that by color or race, but anyway we the, we the dark skinned people was from Ham, and then of course, Japheth was the light skinned people. Um, we have most of our roots in the European world, and the rest of us have it in the Indian world and so then there and he doesn't mention the redskins because they they uh, that's what we used to call the Indians, and so there's a red skin but the third one he mentions here is the brown-skinned people who are the Semitic people who are the Arabs and who are the Jews and others that form the, in the Semitic line. And uh, boy, hear that? Jesus getting ready to come. Y'all better get ready. Uh, thank you, Lord. But uh, Nimrod tried to become a world leader. You know the story. We've been looking at it. And he built this great city called Babylon, and it was 225 square miles. That was the city, just the size of the city. And it's referred to 286 times in Scripture, so it must be important, right? And so every time you see it, I want you to remember this, it's always synonymous with sin, always synonymous with sin. Nimrod built the great city, Nineveh, what was it synonymous with? Sin. Thank God they had a revival and a bunch of folks got saved and Jonah got mad, but sin was multiplied in all of their cities. And so we looked at Babel there, its leader and its location being kind of in the, the lower part of the Tigris and Euphrates Valley, Mesopotamia, Fertile Crescent, you, that particular area most people believe that the the Garden of Eden was in that area I do not know God did not tell us but um, then we come to its language in chapter 11 verse 1 and 5 where whatever it was the language of Adam or Noah or the language of heaven or where it was Hebrew or it was it was one vocabulary every person in the world spoke the same language now, uh, they didn't all look the same. There was dark skin, there was brown skin, there was light skin. They didn't all look the same, but they all spoke the same language. And so it was a single language, but it also was a secular language. Verse 3 says, Let us. This was not the language of a trusting, worshiping, praying man. It was all about us and not about God. So that's when you think of Nimrod, that great giant black man, as he built this huge empire that covered that whole area and everyone spoke his language and he spoke everyone else's language, that was the secular language Uh, But it was also a sinful language. It was uh, because of their communication with everyone in the world, they could pull rebels from every direction, bring them in, and make the headquarters of a one-world government here in Babylon. It's amazing to me that when You cease to become a people for his name and live for your name. That's sinful language in God's mind. We We were saved for his glory. And write down those verses I gave you last week, Isaiah 42, verse 8, and Isaiah 43, 7. God makes it clear that he knew the end from the beginning, and he didn't make us for us. He made us for him. And His glory. That's why we exist, right? You wasn't born so you could have a good time and you could party and you could live up till you got old and your bones got to aching and then it was all over with. No, you was born to bring glory to God every minute and second you live on this earth. That's why God made you. He made everybody. The Bible tells us in, in Isaiah, He made the all. So. I think there's, there's two or three things we need to notice here. Uh, even they built this tower perhaps to protect themselves from another flood. So that in itself would say they didn't believe God and his promises. Because God had said he would never destroy the world again by flood. I don't know why in the world they ever got in their head they could build something that God couldn't tear down or wash out. But they did, and this may have been one of the reasons they were glorifying humanity in defiance of God's will. God's will was not for them to build a tower. God's will for not, because God had told them in Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 7, what did he say to them? Fill the earth. He didn't say, feel Babylon. He didn't say, feel Saudi Arabia. He said, feel the earth. So by the very fact that Nimrod wants to bring all the people under his empirical rule, says that he is defying the word of God and the will of God. So just mark that down. And by the way, that's where humanism gets its roots. We defy what God said and we defy what God wants and we refuse to believe him and we refuse to receive him. And so that's the rebellion against the rules of God where it's uh, they hate rulers of uh, the policemen or the school teachers or society or the church, whatever the case might be, that is a nimrod philosophy. Let me also say this. And by the way, Hillary Clinton almost won the election. And if you look at the whole country, the United States of America, most every state voted for Donald Trump. But you know where Hillary got her votes? in the big entitlement areas, and areas to where they will not listen to God, to where they're dependent upon the government, to where they want the government to love. Can I tell you that whatever the government gives you, they take something from you. If they give you something, oh, man, I can live on this. We got a cell phone from Obama. You know who paid for that? I did. I did. But you see, what happens is we rebel against the fact that God said he would feed us and lead us and guide us and take care of us and meet our needs, and we decide the only way it could be done was for the government to do it, and instead of us trusting God, we're trusting the government, and that's the crowd who voted for her. Why? Because she has the philosophy that Obama has. She has the philosophy John Kerry has, that we have a one world government, one ruler, all believing the same thing. All under secular humanism. I'm just saying, be careful. People's trying to get to heaven their way, another way, but there's only the gospel way that gets us there. So, just as surely as this ancient United Nations failed to bring and keep peace, so will this United Nations fail. Let me tell you why and I'm going to get ahead of myself for just a moment, but I want you to look in Genesis 12, verse 3, and I'm going to show you why, that we, if we don't get it together, we are destined for destruction. Listen to what it says in verse number 3. He said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, folks, I'm one of those in this earth. So are you. God gave us a blessing. God gave Abraham a blessing that this is going to be your land. This is going to be your nation. This is going to be your God, and I will bless that. But if anybody don't want that, I'll curse it. So when we refuse to take a stand for Israel, and I hope we don't maintain that position, but when we do, we are destined for destruction that 's just right out of the book. so that brings us tonight to uh, let me also say this: when God comes down and confuses the language, gives us a language barrier, he, 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 he confounded the language in one day, in other words, it was a confusion took place He confounded. Uh, brought confusion. Well, you can imagine. Here you're talking to each other, and all of a sudden, they start talking a bunch of gibberish. And you say, well, they've got dementia. Uh, they've uh, they, they got Alzheimer's. Or uh, they've lost their mind. Uh, uh, they're crazy. They've been going to Hillcrest. They're messed up. They can't talk to them. They can't talk to him. Hand me a brick. Well, talk where I hear you. And they're saying, huh? what'd you say? You know that? And God confused them. It was a state of confusion. As a result, God scattered them across the world. Now, God loves everyone, and he said he would bless everyone because of the nation of Israel, but he would curse those who was opposed to that promise that he made to Abraham years ago. But just because there is three kinds of people mentioned in the Bible, all of them at first spoke the same language. We cannot have unity among all people. Let me tell you why. Because God confused it. He fixed it to where we cannot do that. Now, even in our own country, we decided or many did back in the ages, and we, we didn't. And I, I don't apologize for something I didn't do. Some of my forefathers might have to, I doubt it, because they were slaves themselves. Uh, but I, I, I think what we tried to do is force a culture on people that God did not mean for us to do. God meant for us to leave people to live where God placed them in this world. Now, as a result of that, all over the world, you'll find different cultures. You go to Africa, you may go in one country and they speak Swahili, and you may go in another country and they speak another dialect, and you may go in another country and they speak another dialect. That that happens all over the world. There's not just one language for one continent. There's all kinds of languages spoken and different dialects of those languages. Just in America, for instance, when we talk about those Yankees up north, you know. They don't talk like us hicks. They talk better. They got a better vocabulary. They pronounce clearly. We don't. We say y'all. You know, that's why we, we got to draw. And if you go around the world, you're going to find the same thing. So just because Jesus loves the world and brings us together in Christ doesn't mean that he takes us out of our culture. It doesn't mean that he changes our society to where all of us have the same society and all of us have the same culture. But all of us do have one thing in common, the same salvation and the same Savior and the same heaven and the same blood and the same forgiveness. But don't get upset because, don't try to make an Arab be an American because they're not. They're taken out. Of their environment. That's where we have problems. Don't try to take a Spaniard and make him an American. It won't work. They're not. They got different colors. When I was in Africa and the Philippines and Hong Kong and places around the world that God's let me go, and I'd, I'd, I'd go to Africa and we'd eat where they cooked it uh, in the ground and, 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 and we'd sit on a little bitty stool or, or on the ground and, and they would give us the very best they had and it wasn't very much and it would be a dirt floor in an old shack, uh, uh, a straw building or, or mud, mud hut and, and that was their culture. I wasn't to come in and say, I'm going to tell you, you need to tear this thing down, build you a brick house. You need to tear it down, get you some natural gas in here and some running water and a toilet that you can sit on. I I couldn't do that. Why? Because they don't even know how to do that. Did you know? They got a hole in the ground. They got squatty potties. And so is the Philippines. You go to the Philippines, and some of you have been all over the world, especially some of you military guys, and you've been all over the world, and you know, man, they, they, they take, listen, if they somehow find a real toilet bowl in some of these countries, they take the lids off of it, so you still have to squat. Now, folks, things like that is not where we fall out. We try to make those things issues and try to dominate culture. But what we've done is we've let culture tell us what to do in our culture. Instead of us maintaining what God wanted us to be when he put us here and rooted us here, we have tried to make other folks conform to it. and just won't work. People in they're different in their dialects and they're different in their their, their, their uh, customs and they're, they're different in their, the lands are different and uh, they're different in their economy. It, it's all different. Because all under Babylon, God scattered everybody across the world. When you take them out of that culture, they have to learn a whole new culture. Everybody I've, every place I've ever been preaching, as soon as I got home, I'd get a call. It'd be a foreign, from a foreigner, usually from San Francisco, where they had made it across somehow and got to San Francisco, and they'd call me, Buddy Lynn, you come and preach to us. Yes, I did. This is so-and-so, and they would give me their name, and I would know them, and I would remember them. They'd say, I want to come live with you. I said, you're not living with me. I said, I come to give you the gospel. I did not come to change your culture. You all with me? So God put people, and we have them scattered all over the world, and he obviously had uh, land highways and land geography between waters to where, and that explains why we have islanders who've been there for years. We don't know how in the world they got out there, but there's islanders there. And then we, we, we go to other places, we say, How did they get here? Because God somehow made a land highway, divided people, scattered them all over the globe, put them here and here and here. So, you so say, What does that mean? Well, the determination is the third thing of a nation for Bethlehem. Chapter 10, verse 21, through the Bible, it's now the prominent line in the Bible. We're going to see one great purpose from here on through the Bible. God only spends 10 chapters to tell us what happened in 4,000 years. So we come back here, and he spends the rest of the Bible for one purpose. And you know what that purpose is, that the seed line of Genesis, that Genesis 3.15 says that there is going to be a, Bethlehem, a seed born in Bethlehem that through him we could be saved. That's going to be his purpose. Are y'all with me? So that, even though we are scattered in our sins all over the world, we are gathered in the gospel. Can you get me? That's why we have, that's why we need churches all over the world because missionaries is to go not to change their culture, not just to be a social worker. They're there to sow a seed, the seed of Genesis 315 and tell them, how it was fulfilled in Christ and how that if they believe on him they could be saved because you see that's why speaking in tongues on Pentecost was so important. It was the way God broke through the language barrier to bring people to his way in Christ by the gospel in the church. So there gathered at Pentecost we count 18 dialects and so when they left there that day, they went to at least 18 different places in the world. Where did they go? It, see, they were, it wasn't there so that they could go and, ha- and their church culture was to speak in some ecstatic language. That's not why they were there. What they were there for was for God to send a sign that he was about to birth the church. And when he birthed the church, that the church could go all over the world, anywhere, give the gospel, and those people could be saved. They didn't have to change their colors. They didn't have to change their culture. They didn't have to change their food. They didn't have to change any of that because God just needed to change their heart. And so... Uh, In Revelation 7, verse 9, when you get to heaven, God says there's people from every nation, multitude of, every nation in tongue and language, all marching there, gathered together. So every generation tries to build its own towers, but we're here to build the tower for Jesus Christ, not Babylon's rebel. So I'm going to tell you, folks, Get mad at me if you want to, but unity doesn't come from marching in our streets. I don't believe in even peaceful protest because most of the people in peaceful protest, most of them were hired to be there. They're nothing but paid lobbyists with a protest sign and a Molotov cocktail. I think that when we are violating the law and when we are killing policemen and we are hurting each other, no matter who we are, we should be protected by our government and our government should not be corrupt to protect us. And That's God's way of dealing with those things but today we're seeing all kinds of protests. Why? Rebels. Nimrod see. Not here. So what happens to community life when the whole community steps outside the ways of God? What happened? Community life totally changes, right? Because we don't want God in the center of the picture, so the community life changed. Why has communities died? in the United States of America. Well, the communities that, that I grew up in, the community that you grew up in, the communities that you know your family grew up in, they're not there anymore. Amen. You know why they changed? Because churches quit being churches. Amen. We quit preaching the gospel. We started being so afraid we was going to be offensive. We are so afraid that the government was going to be mad at us or the, our head hog deacon was going to get mad, and we quit preaching as a result of it, people scattered and they moved to the cities and they moved to the towns and they moved. But when you're committed to your church, it does something to bring you together and keep you together and make that community what God wants it to be. But we don't have that anymore because today we don't want our community for be for God's glory. We want our community so we can be the boss. So, Technological achievement and pride is killing us today. Getting to heaven is not what we build, it's what we believe. It is not a goal to achieve, it's a gift to receive. Now, let's look at Abraham, to which God changes in chapter 11, verse number 10. Starts down the line toward Abraham. Now, I'm going to talk to you just a while tonight about Abraham, a man of faith. The beginning, Abraham, a man of faith. Now, first of all, I just want you to see there in Genesis 10, verses 10 through 32, uh, verses 11, verses 10 through 32, We have this thing told to us. Salvation is of the Jews. God makes that very clear. He takes that seed line, and that's where he goes. And God has shut salvation up to those who can accept a Jewish Messiah by faith. If you cannot do that, you cannot be saved. Your Messiah came. In a Jewish human body. Amen. A perfect one, but a Jewish human body. Well, you say, Brother Glenn, but you're light skinned. Why in the world would you want to believe on somebody like him? He's not like you. I'm glad he's not. Amen. But he wants to make me like him. Amen. And so it doesn't matter what color our skin is, it matters what's in our heart. And so, this is what Abraham is going to teach us. Salvation is of the Jew, and the Hebrew people was the line through which Messiah was come. And he shut salvation up through faith to that line. Secondly, in chapter 12, let's look at verses 1 through 3, and let's look at God's call of faith. First of all, to Abraham, and I will move quickly here, we notice that we find in that those first 3 verses we find the call of faith it was a personal call the lord said unto abram every person who comes to the lord has to come personally you don't you don't get to come by proxy You don't get to come because your mom and daddy has come or your uh, uh, aunt has come or your uncle has come or your grandparents has come. That's not the way it comes. It comes personally. So God, there's a personal call. Secondly, there's a parting call. Look what he said. Get out of thy country. Woo! Get out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He didn't say go join the United Nations. Not at all. He said you get out of this land. That's a parting call. Can you handle that? Number three, it was a promised call. If you get out of this land... I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless. That's a little bit different from what Nimrod said, isn't it? Nimrod kept saying, let us, let us, let us. Now, God says, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's the unity God is looking for. When we passed the cross from that point on, after he had ascended to heaven, he wanted us to be unified in the church. So I can find a brother no matter where I go in this world, whatever language he speaks or what. color his skin or whatever culture they have, I can go there and find brothers in Christ. I've had them tell me when I'd be preaching in in different languages, uh, and I'd have a translator there. You know, when you have a translator, you don't know what he's saying. He could be saying, he's a dummy, he's a dummy, don't know what he's doing, And, and, you know, but I'm just sitting there just preaching hard as I can preach. But you kind of have to cut it down in half, you know, because you you start losing them. And so I'll say a phrase, and he'll say a phrase, and I'll say a phrase. And then he'll look at me with my hick, hillbilly, and say, what? And and I'll I'll have to say it again, and he'll say a phrase, and they'll say a phrase. But it's amazing how people have come to me and, and said to me, when you preached, I understood what you were talking about. It wasn't just that we had a translator, we had a Holy Ghost that spoke to people's hearts. Thank God for that, amen? And so, let's look at the third thing. Abram's stall of faith in verse number four. The cessation of it. So, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Oh, he's doing good. And Lot went with him. That's bad. Said, that. Don't ever take your nephew with you." Okay. Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now they had evidently moved out of the Ur of the Chaldees is where he was first spoken to. Right? The Bible tells us that. So he has. With his family, even though they know he has a call on his life, they don't understand it, they don't agree with it, they're not going to accept it. They're pagans, they're worshiping idols, but their family migrate with him north. Uh, give, us a, give, me, give me that if you can. Give me a, a picture here just a little bit, uh, Matt, if you can. And I'm going to show you something. Just some, because some of it's in the news. Uh, Okay, you you can see down here is where they started, and they migrated back up. There's Babylon. There's the Euphrates River. And you see Israel is supposed to have all of this in here. But here's what I want you to see. They go up here to Haran. See that there? That's in our Bible, right? Haran. Now, that's where Abraham makes his break and decides he's going to come and do what God said do. So he moves over to Carchemish, and then he moves down. Look at that word right there, Aleppo. You know that word? You know where that's at? Been all of the news, Aleppo. Aleppo is one of the oldest cities in the world, right there. There it is, Aleppo. Aleppo is in Syria, and then he moves down, goes down through Damascus, which is uh, here, which is way on down south and the the borders of Israel should be somewhere up 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 above or around Damascus but they never conquered that much and then they just keep going he does until they get down and they take a a, a cut around the dead sea and the bible says they're headed down toward ne- the Negev or the desert or the Beersheba they is this is where right now Egypt, uh, or Israel, comes to right here. This is Eilat. That is also at one time was called the Red Sea, and over here was the Red Sea, and of course it runs into the Gulf. Now, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. So you, you've got it right here where uh, you, you can turn on your television and see some of these same places all the time. So that's why I want you to see how important it is that God knew exactly what was going to happen. He could do the route back then. He knew cities. Aleppo, one of the oldest cities in the world, along with Jericho, which is not listed on this thing because it was destroyed so many times. And so some even say Aleppo is one of the oldest cities ever. And so we now see it laying in shambles. So it was a population of a half a million people. And it laid in shambles. But you see, what I want you to see is that Abraham did not immediately follow God's call. He could have took a different direction, and maybe he did, but we know he came come to hear. So he didn't all immediately follow God's call. But when he gets up there, the, the Scripture says that he parted out of Haran. You see it? Right there. That's where he got to. He goes all the way from the Ur of Chaldees, which is in Saudi Arabia, okay, all the way up here. And there he is in Iran. Right in Iran, he decides, hey, it's time to do what God said to do. So he gets back in the will of God, moves over, and starts down, and then God brings him, of course, to the Mount Nebo, and he looks at the land at a, at a time uh, later on, not uh, Abraham, but Moses is going to go to Mount Nebo and look at this, this whole land in here. It's going to be theirs. And so here he's following God's will, and he's coming all the way down here. And at that time, around the Dead Sea was not like it is today. Today it's nothing but just a salt desert. That's it. Nothing but a desert. But in that day, it was very fertile because where did Lot choose to go? where it was well-watered, well-watered, plenty of grass. Now go, and you can't find a sprig of grass anywhere, And the Dead Sea's shrinking day by day. It's going down. And so that was a fertile area at one time until God's judgment fell on it. And you go look at that land now, and those of you who went with me, to Masada, and that's that's the area we're in, down here, right, right in there, about where Masada is, right in that point. And so you can see all around, nothing but desert. Nothing but desert. So Abraham, when he stepped out of God's will, Uh, he gets back in God's will kind of quick and moves over into the land to do what God called him to do. But Lot then stepped out of the will of God and never got back in. So I'll get to that in later days. But in verses 4 through 8, here's what you see, and we're going to close. When Abram steps out, he does it simply by faith. He gets on the move for God. He's making a mistake by taking Lot. That's, that's a bad thing. He's 75 now. He's wasted all these years in paganism. But never mind, he stepped out on God. Now he's stepping back in with God. Somebody here tonight may be to do that. You stopped somewhere in your life and said, no, I'm going no further as far as I'm going, God. And so you looked at the well-watered plains and you looked at all the blessings of life and you decided it's just not worth giving up this to get in the will of God. So Lot had a real problem. But Abraham, he gets back in the will of God and he stepped out. And Verse 6 says he goes to Sikkim, which probably is Shechem, um, and... That was the Canaanite land that he was in where they was worshiped pagans. He was, had faith in one God, which was absolutely incredible for that area of the land. But Abram did not let these wild, fierce, immoral, idolatrous Canaanites turn his back on God. But some of us have. And if we're not careful, it can happen real easy, Right? The opposition and occupation of that land did not deter him from doing God's will. He just said, I'll go where God said go and let him take care of the details. Would y'all do that? We're really happy when we go where God says go and let him take care of the details. May not look like it'll work, but God can see further than we can. Somebody say amen. I close with this because uh, every year or so uh, I go and I, I, I think about how in the early church we find all three, all three of Noah's sons represented in the early church. Because the Bible says when Jesus come, he would bring light to the Gentiles. Luke 2, 32, right? And the apostles in the early church carried that light, Acts 1, 8. They were supposed to carry his light to all the nations. Am I right? He also says it again, chapter 13, verse 47. So the descendants of Noah's three sons were represented in the early church, all three of them. The dark skin, brown skin, the light skin. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, in the early church, the Ethiopian treasurer was a descendant of Ham, right? And Paul was a descendant of Shem. Acts 9 tells us that. And then in Acts 10, Cornelius was a son of Japheth. So you see what I'm saying? There's only one way for us to get together in peace. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only unity we'll ever have will not be at a UN peace talk. It'll be in the church, at the altar, on our face, in love with Jesus Christ. All over the world, there's people that love the Lord. We don't know them. But someday we'll see them, some glad morning, when we all fly away. Amen.